0: Amen. Amen. All yours. Thank you, Pastor Brian. I forgot my wallet and the car I'll pay you after. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't need a good laugh? Eh? Hey, the play that went wrong. I was going to say something about Shane Morris, but I won't do that because I would be centering him out from up here. Pastor Howie, I have my eyes on you. Uh, so if we could get that clip played for a second there. Well, it's going to be more than a second, but.
1: I walk 47 miles of barbed wire I got a new blue for
2: a necktie A brand new house along the roadside side And it's a made out of rhino sneak hide
1: Got a brand new chin that baby built on top And it's a bed out of human skull now Come on, take a little walk with me, baby And tell me, who do you love?
0: all right so i want to open up with a little music trivia this morning now i don't recommend that you go home and purchase this album or even try to understand the words because quite frankly the words don't make a lot of sense to me but there are some words in it that do make some sense and i think we're going to talk about that as we go on here today but does anybody know the name of that song who do you love very good who sang that song George Thorogood and the Destroyers. Wow, we got some really sharp music people here. How about the year it was written? Ooh, we're getting a little tougher now. Take a guess. 76, I heard. A little bit later. 78. 1978 is when it was written. And by the way, I was 20 years old when that was written. And it would be 26 years before I would even get saved. So I was probably listening to that song maybe way too much. But we weren't, we're not going to concentrate on that. What we are going to concentrate is on the song, uh, the, the, the name of that song, sorry, is the name of this message today. And that is, Who Do You Love? Yeah, Jesus, thank you. So again, I just want a disclaimer here. I don't really know why this song was written quite frankly or the lyrics of it why it was written in that style but that was 1978 right and um you know when you when you think about it they really don't make much sense they're talking about rattlesnakes and cobra neckties and chimneys and graveyard mines it's just not your real christian value kind of song but the question who do you love is Christian song and That question I noticed it got a little quiet in here is really a question of our heart Isn't it and when you think about the heart it can be confusing it could take us in all different directions but I'm going to try to answer the question of that song. And if you look at the lyrics of the song, and, and I studied it, and by the way, I don't recommend you go home and study the lyrics of this song. I think you need to be a professional to do that. I'm a professional. You should not try that at home. <laughs> but I think when you look at the lyrics, what George Thorogood is implying is, You should love me. The, the, the theme of that song is, You should love me. And again, I don't know about you, but Tombstone's Hands and Graveyard minds just, just doesn't quite do it for me. By the way, I did say the lyrics were odd to this song, did I not? I, I, I did just use that disclaimer, okay. But I think, again, the question that he asks over and over is, who do you love? In fact, he goes on 18 times throughout the song and asks, who do you love? And I'm sure he's not your good Christian band. I don't think Pastor Brian Danter would have been playing anything like that in his day, although the guitar might have been similar. I do believe the question is being asked for a reason. And I believe it's a question God might be asking some of us today. It might be all of us. And I think if we answer that question this morning, it's going to really be, the heart of the message that I'm trying to communicate to you today. Because you see, I was someone that grew up wanting to be loved. I was someone that wanted to be important. I was somebody that wanted to be seen. And if I'm being honest, I wanted everyone to love me, much like George Thoroughbred is singing Thor, good, is singing in that song. Sorry. He could have been a thoroughbred. I kind of doubted with the words of that song. And maybe there's a part of you that kind of feels like that too, or has felt like that. And I'm going to kind of talk on the heart and talk about love here as we go through this in a few minutes. But I think there's something that's wired into us in our humanity Because we're all human, we're all breathing, we all have skin. And that is, we need to be loved. But, sometimes that need can be a problem. In his book, it's titled The Soul of Shame by Dr. Kurt Thompson. He words it this way. He said, we're all born into this world looking for someone looking for us. Let me repeat that. We're born into this world looking for someone who is looking for us. Because there's something about shame that touches us in the very core of our identity and distorts our thinking to the point where we believe we need something outside of what God is trying to provide. Oh, this is good. That wasn't even in my notes. That's a bonus. You guys got a bonus there. And some of us remain searching for that the rest of our lives. We're stuck in this mode. But I believe, truthfully, that God made us. He made our hearts for relationships and for love. Am I doing okay so far? Okay, good. I shouldn't be asking that because I know I am. It's not me doing it. In Ephesians 4, verses 2-4, to it says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Hmm, making, whoa, we we could probably get some testimonies on that one. Pastor Howell, you want to come up? No, never mind. Make every, he probably will turn that around on me if I know him, because he is very smart, as Pastor Brian was saying. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. In John 13, verse 34 to 36, it says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 to 19, he says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Hmm, that's an interesting comment. We love him because he first loved us. So we see there's a message of love here, and it's going to be tied to the heart. Hopefully, as I go through that, that'll be clear. So again, my message today, we're going to be talking about the heart from the heart. From the heart of God, not my heart. Amen? And it doesn't take much to look into Scripture to see just how important the Bible tells us that the heart truly is. Because when you look at it in scripture and you reference the heart, there are 927 times it's mentioned in the New King James translation. Did you know that? Well, there you go. You learned something today. Also, in the Old Testament, it's referenced 751 times. And in the New Testament, 176 times. How about the book of Proverbs? Anybody want to take a guess? How many times? Anybody? How many? 40? 400. In the the book of Proverbs? It's a little high. 86 times. But that was a good guess. I appreciate your stepping out and taking that that, that step of faith and just believing and being vulnerable because it's not easy to speak out in front of a group. That's why I'm leaving. Pastor Brian's going to take over. No, I'm just kidding. So... We're going to see that Proverbs 4.23 says to protect your heart because it impacts your choices, your thoughts, and your behaviors. Psalm 51.10 says the psalmist actually asks God to transform, cleanse his heart. I'm going to move over here because the light's getting in my eye. Is that okay? I'll go over there after, but you guys just pay, just pay attention, okay? Especially you, Pastor Howie. Matthew 5.8 says he promises those pure in heart will experience God. Jeremiah 17.9 actually says that the human heart can be prone to wickedness and deceit. Ooh. Do you know you're all prone to wickedness and deceit? We are. Romans 10 verses 8 to 9 actually tells us that the heart plays a role in the salvation and, and actually we're to confess, we're to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Those are those are the, that's a pretty big rule, and it's got to take place in our heart in order for salvation to take place. Proverbs three and four says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding." It means we can lean on our own understanding, then, doesn't it? So, what are you leaning on today? Hmm. Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Jesus said to him, "You shall love your God, the Lord God, sorry, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind." He even puts in there all your mind. I wonder why he did that. Maybe we'll answer that. Maybe we'll answer that. Luke 6.45 says, Hearts determine how people act. It says, A bad heart will do evil deeds, and a good heart will do the opposite. Hmm. These are all in the Bible. I, I didn't write them. I just printed them. Out. I copied, pasted and copied. I honestly, I can give you all the scripture reference. You go check them out. Psalm 139.24. 23 and 24, the psalmist asked God to look at his heart, his ways and thoughts, and if there's anything negative within to guide him and then also to guide him in the righteous path. So he wanted him to look in his heart and then guide him on the righteous path. Psalm 15, 13 says that a happy heart, excuse me, will make one's face cheerful, but a heavy heart will hurt one's spirit and emotions. Proverbs 21.2 says that humans believe their ways are proper and just, but in the end, God truly knows and judges the motives and intentions of their hearts. That's you and I. He knows that—I don't know about you, but it's a little humbling for me to know that God's judging my heart sometimes. It's not always properly lining up with God's will, if you know what I'm saying. First Samuel 16.7 se- reveals that God— does not focus on the external features of man, but on his inner qualities and tensions of his heart. And Proverbs 4.4 says to wholeheartedly accept God's commandments and teaching to live a fulfilling life. In 1 John 3.21, it says, Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we will have confidence before the Lord. So our heart will actually determine how we connect with God. That's what it says there. In 1 John 3, I'm sorry, I just read that. So we also read in um, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So there's, he's telling us we need to love God with all our hearts. Proverbs, again, 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And then some of the other translations will say, Guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. In the, book of Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel prophesied that God would take the stony heart, remove it, and put a spirit within us, and take that stony heart and make it a heart of flesh. He also said it in Ezekiel 20, uh, 36, 25 to 27. It's uh, actually up there. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and I, I, uh, you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. He's telling us something here. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of, fl- of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments to do and do them. Sorry. So God is going to take out the old heart, the heart of stone. He's going to get rid of it. Probably a good thing for some of us. He's going to replace it with a new heart, a heart of flesh, that's alive to him in his glory. By the way, aren't we supposed to be transformed from something to something? What is, how does that go again? Oh, from glory to glory. Isn't that interesting? Basic Christian evangelism teaches us again i mentioned it earlier in romans 10 that we need to invite jesus into our heart and it seems pretty clear how important the heart is so basically what does it mean to live from the heart well let me ask this a different way how do we do christianity from the heart lock that door don't let people keep running out on me it gives me a bad feeling It can sound complicated, it doesn't it? But it really isn't. In Matthew chapter 5: 21 to 30, Jesus tells us that our hearts are at the center of the things going on in our life, and he specifically mentions murder and adultery and that they come from the heart. But can I just say it a little more plainly? All the sin comes from the center of our heart. It doesn't have to be murder or adultery. Michael Dye, who happens to be the author of the Genesis Process, some of you may have heard of it. I, I think I've mentioned it. I think I've heard of it once.
2: <laughs>
0: he phrased it this way. If you want to change who you are and what you do, you have to change your heart. If we're going to change our behavior, we have to change our heart. But more importantly, we have to change what we believe. And we can see something about our heart that has a huge effect on how we live, and I want to just take a moment, if it's okay with you, it's okay, good, Pastor Howie gave me the nod, I'm okay, because I think the heart is one of those terms that gets used, but so often gets misused. It's used in song, it's used in movies, it's used in media of all kinds, and it's used in the world today, and it's used from people like George Thorogood and the Destroyers, to maybe more than modern singers like Taylor Swift, and I don't know any other one, so if I've left anybody out or offended anybody, I disable all knowledge. But the point that I want to make is, culture is cap, uh, capitalizing on that term heart, and they're trying to reach something within us, because they know if they can hit that, that tune with us of what we believe, they can connect to us. And then they can sell us something, and they can hit an emotion. Anyways, that's a sermon for another day. But what does the Bible actually say about the heart? What do we mean when we speak about the heart? It's a good question, isn't it? I thought so. So it's not just these four chambers that are beating in my heart right now, pumping blood through me. I know it sounds kind of complicated. I don't really think about it, It does it? I don't know about you, if you have to think about it, should just be doing it normally. But in the ancient times, the Greeks and Romans believed that much of our deepest thoughts and emotions were actually in your bowels. Yeah, in your bowels. Now, I can't imagine how they came up with that theory. And I really don't really want to know why they came up with that theory. But let me just give you an example if that theory were true. So, I'm going to reflect back on the day. You all know, you all had the day? You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? You say, what's he talking about? So, the day would be Pastor Karen sitting over there right now where, you know, I just want you to, I just want you to picture this. I want to set the scene. I want you to grasp this, okay? Romantic setting, soft music playing, oh, Beautiful flowers on the table. This isn't the way I did it, by the way. Perfect lighting. (laughs) Nice candlelight flickering. Are you picking it up when I'm laying down here? Wonderful meal and just a beautiful ambiance of dinner. And then after dinner, I get down on one knee. And I just say to her, Karen. I love you with all my bowels. Will you marry me? (laughs) Or how about, I love you from the depth of my bowels. Thank God we don't think like that in culture anymore. So what we see in both Hebrew thoughts and Greek thoughts is a concept of a human person and that we are one united person but with many aspects or different parts. Some of you may have heard of internal family systems, IFS for short. Uh, They use a language telling us that we have parts. We are made up of three components. They are body, the physical dynamic, the soul. Those are the inner workings. And then spirit. Of course, our spirit is the eternal side, and it's the side of us that relates to God. It's the side where we kind of are in a more heavenly realm, it's, the, it's what the Bible refers to as walking in the spirit, and we see that reference in Matthew 4 where it tells us that Jesus was actually led by the spirit. But when we come to the soul, that's where we start to get into the heart. Most authors then further divide the inner workings of our hearts into our mind, and that's our thinking and our feelings. Where does that kind of language start to align With the thinking brain and the feeling brain you know you have a feely brain did you know that you do you're looking at me funny anyone who has ever worked on recovery would understand that and would be familiar with that terminology because that's really what we're trying to come in contact with we talk about a part of us that's known for our logic and reasoning we begin to think about this prefrontal cortex this is for you pastor brian that's this area he likes it when i do that That's the area up front and on top of our head. And that's really where we make good, sound, logical decisions. There's a reason why we don't use that all the time, but I'm not going into that here today. And then we also have that inner brain. And that's the part of brain referred to as the limbic system. And it's the area of brain that is learned at an early age, very early, probably somewhere between 2 and 5. What life is about and what's needed for survival and safety. Do you know you need to be able to be safe and feel like you're going to survive? Because if you feel threatened, you'll act differently. More importantly, the limbic system distinguishes the things we need to run from and the things we need to run to for comfort. Interesting, isn't it? How the brain actually goes into this protection mode but will also keep us safe in its own determination based on experiences. So I think we can accurately say that we're talking, when we're talking about the heart, we're actually talking about the brain, and not only the brain, but specifically our limbic system. That's where the heart of our belief system is. That's the inner brain. It's, again, responsible for guarding and protecting us, defining what's important, and that if you paid attention to the triggers, there's a range of emotions that you've experienced in your inner brain. And again, that's what we call the heart in the Bible. I mentioned Genesis earlier. In Genesis, we learned about the faster scale. And when we do our lessons, we talked about the brain and we learn about relationships. We learn about patterns and addictions and all those helpful things. And then we might go to church on Sunday or our mentor group or our lighthouse. And we read passages, and we sing about the heart, and not realizing how deeply the two are connected. So I want to encourage you today to think about the heart. And as you think about the brain, you might realize the Bible is describing the same thing, and that the limbic system and the heart are truly, biblically speaking, one and the same. I'm not going to go over all the passages I have here, but in Romans 12:2 it says, don't copy... I'm, reading on the New Living in this case, the New Living Translation says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. If you interpret what I just read, if I want to learn God's will for me, if I want to be transformed into a new person, if I want to start that process, I have to stop acting and behaving like the world and those around me, and I have to start changing the way I think. If I want change in the way I act and behave, I have to change the way I think. It's pretty simple. So to renew our limbic system, to renew the part of our thinking, it's really the work of renewing our hearts. And if I'm speaking to you in some foreign language, and you don't want to come into agreement with what I'm saying, that's okay, I'm all right with that. It's speaking and it's always been used as a metaphor in the Bible. And if you say my heart's staying in my chest and you're not touching it, I'm okay with that. But I think from the metaphor, content or perspective that takes place in the limbic system and takes place in the limbic system in our brain We have to renew our hearts, renew our mind to live from that place of peace and happiness and safety. If I could be as bold, if you want to know God's will, if you want to have healthy, happy relationships, anybody want those? Two people? (laughs) Well, it's better than no people, I guess. We need to change our heart. So I want to look at a couple different examples in the Bible that will give us some insight into living from the heart. And I'll start you by telling a little story about Solomon. If you're not familiar about Solomon, he was the third king of Israel. Everybody knew that, though, didn't they? I can tell by the way you're looking at me. you got a very intelligent group here today. Very intelligent. It probably all started with Pastor Howie imparting his wisdom into us. King Solomon, again... Was the son of David, we had Saul as first king, we had David as the second king, and then we had Solomon. And in the first, and in 1 Kings chapter 3, God visited Solomon in a dream. He gave him a very, very interesting opportunity. In 1 Kings 5, or 3, 5, it says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask. What shall I give you? God appeared to Gibeon, or at Gibeon, to Solomon in a dream at night, and he asked him, I mean, what shall I give you? If I got woken up in a dream, or if I'm in a dream, I don't care if he wakes me up or not, but if God's asking me what I want, I think that's a pretty unique opportunity. I would think so. And Solomon thought, and he reasoned, and he responded to God. In verse 7, he said this. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So Solomon asked God for a discerning heart. It's a pretty cool request, I think. What's interesting is how did he come up with that request? Because I don't know about you. If I'm in a dead of sleep and I get woken up in my dream, or if I'm not getting woken up, God's talking to me. I'm not so sure I would come up with that request. But in Proverbs 4... Proverbs 4 is a chapter that's devoted to how to raise our family, the importance of family instruction, especially father roles. It says, Solomon says, he tells us, my father taught me. And I can't help but wonder how much David emphasized to him, seek God, seek his ways, seek his justice, seek his wisdom. And I wonder how many of us would ask for that instead of the million dollars. Because it's interesting, when he was asked by God, Solomon chose wisdom and the understanding heart. Verse 10 tells us that God was so pleased that he responded positively. Solomon wasn't asking on behalf of himself, he was asking on behalf of the people, and more specifically, God's people. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 12, God replies and said, "'Behold, I have done according to your words.' See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall anyone like you arise after you. I'm making you one of a kind, Solomon. I'm making you the smartest and wisest guy in the world. And it so pleased the Lord... At Solomon's request, in verse 13, he says, And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor. So again, there will not be anyone like you among the kings of all your days. There won't be another king like him. And when you read the story of Solomon, it is evident that these things came to pass. And if you don't believe me, go read 1 Kings chapter 10. It talks about his glory, his splendor, his riches. He also had 700 wives and 300 Concubines. I'm not so sure I'm going to that on anyone. Um, there's incredible statements, again, about his wealth, the glory, and how people from all over the world were attracted to him. In fact, you look into the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastics, we're still receiving wisdom that God imparted into Solomon that it's still valuable 3,000 years later. It's as valuable now as it was then when he first wrote it. Not... Too much, not much wisdom can stand the test of time like that. How do you have the, how did he have the insight in the way that was so timeless? Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 4.23, again, above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. God said, there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. I just covered that. But it's interesting about a spring. One thing about a spring is guarding a spring is not keeping it in, but not letting other stuff get in. A spring is meant to flow outward, but not have contaminants come into it. Sounds like a little bit what we might want to do with our heart. Might want to. I'm going to do it, so if you want to follow me, you might want to. Again, you want to make sure it's clean. And why was water so important? Because we can go to Costco, we can pick up cases of water, we can go to our taps, and we're kind of programmed to go to our taps and turn on the tap, and just automatically the water comes, right? It's just a God-given right that we have a tap, we have water, it flows. But it's not that way in some countries. In fact, it's not that way in most countries. And we take it for granted. But the truth is, In Solomon's time, if you had water, you had sustainability, you had life. You guarded that water in his time. And you made sure, because if an enemy wanted to lay siege to your city, the first thing they would do is cut off your water supply. Because it equated cutting off water, cut off life. So Solomon says, guard your heart like a well. And I think it's very ironic that Solomon is the one who said that, because as God gave him wealth and as God blessed his kingdom, as he grew in notoriety and he acquired fame from all over the world, it's also evident that it led to a gradual change in Solomon's heart. Because we pick up the story in 1 Kings 11, and I'm reading out of the New International Version. We read the warning that God gave Solomon, the same warning that he had given to Israel many, many times in their history. In 1 Kings 11, it says, They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, You must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts away after other gods. And then it says, Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Those are possibly—that word, nevertheless, might be some of the, might be one of the saddest words you ever read in Scripture because God warned Solomon not to intermarry. Don't make the choices because it will turn your heart away from me. Some translations actually worded differently. New King James says, clung to. Uh, others will say that he refused to give up, held fast to. When whatever the translation you use, the point is Solomon chose foreign wives— and ultimately foreign gods over God. In spite of God's warning, and in spite of Solomon possessing all the wisdom, pretty much, of the world at that time. We read he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and the wives led him astray. I mean, talk about a pattern of binge purge, binge purge, 700 times. My heart, but... Here's the thing. He had the 700 wives and 300 concubines. But his his heart was actually, ultimately, what was at stake here. In verse uh, 4 of uh, 1 Kings 11, it says, Solomon grew old. Most authors think he was around 50. His wives did turn his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the god as his heart, David, This was more than just satisfying people or creating alliances. Solomon was truly being impacted in a deep internal way. And we see what's happening in this chapter. He begins to build numerous altars and places of worship to gods of his wives or idols, false gods. The gods he was warned to stay away from. The very gods he was warned to stay away from. And it was a significant investment of his time and energy. And it ended up being in service to false gods and to memorializing his glory and his own wealth. And we also see the story ending up in 1st King. From 1st King, it starts off where he's got all this wealth. He's got all, all this gold and all these riches. And people are coming from all over the world. It says in... Um, in... Uh, verse 27 of 1 Kings 10, it says, The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. Silver was as common as stones. But then we read in chapter 11 that his heart turned away from God, and you see he had all these physical blessings and all these accomplishments and things to look at and worship and honor. And I don't think it's a coincidence that one chapter later, his heart's turning away from God. And what's even more interesting is by the end of that chapter... Solomon will be dead. So the story of Solomon, the man who asked God for a wise and discerning heart, the same Solomon that God blessed with greater wisdom than anyone else has ever known, actually ends up in tragedy. Because Solomon's heart was moved away from God. He was building altars and temples to false gods and to himself. And it's a very sad statement for a man that probably should have known better. Ask for better. So I want to take another quick look, because I'm running out of time, at another king, King David. And we see in 1 Samuel 13, verses 13 and 14, and Samuel said to Saul, I have done foolishly. You have done foolishly, sorry. So Samuel was a prophet God sent to Saul, and he tells Saul that I have done foolishly. You have done foolishly, sorry. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you for now the lord would have established your kingdom over israel forever but now your kingdom shall not continue the lord has sought for him a man after his own heart and the lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept the lord what the lord has commanded you so we see god is removing saul and installing david as king Saul did not do as the Lord commanded. God, in in turn, chose David, a man after his own heart. And David starts off as a man after God's heart. But then he falls into the same trap as Solomon. And it's actually quite unique and interesting. You see the parallels that exist with Solomon. In 1 Chronicles 21.3, David was also given a warning. Do not take the census. Um, And even though his army commander, Joab, warned him, he went ahead and did it. He said, Joab said, do not rebel against the Lord. In First Chronicles 21, we see that Satan was stood up against Israel, moved David to, to, take the, to number Israel. And I could take time to unpack that, but I don't have time, so I'm not going to. And we want to focus for a moment, just in closing, on both Solomon and David. David was warned. He went ahead and did it, and... He he ended up repenting. But we see in 2 Samuel 24, verse 11 to 13, God sent the prophet Gad, and he gives David three choices. And his choices are seven years of famine over the land, three months of war where he would be fleeing and chased by his enemies, or three days of plagues or disease in the land. In verse 14, David chose three days of disease, which resulted in 70,000 men dying as a result of the plague. But we also see that in verse 8 of 1 Chronicles 21, David prayed, I have sinned badly in what I have done, substituting statistics for trust. Forgive my sin, I have been really stupid. That's out of the Message Bible. Other translations describe it as foolishness. But here we see Repentance and i can't help but to think to a couple weeks ago there was a there was actually a series on adversity runners here and what we see is the very thing that god was destructing or using to de- destroy the people of israel actually became the very location where the future temple of the god of jerusalem would be built one of the seven anci- ancient seven wonders of the world and so the last chapters of david life read very differently than the last chapters of Solomon's life where the last chapter of Solomon's life brought about accumulation of wealth splendor and wives the last chapters of David's life 1 Chronicles 22 through 28 tells us he accumulated a wealth of supplies for the temple of God appointing priests consecrating leaders and preparing the generation for the work that the Lord was going to do in the temple and then David prays this at the end of that prayer he says oh God oh Lord God of our fathers Abraham Isaac and Jacob keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever keep their hearts loyal to you meaning their hearts could be turned from God so the end of David's story and the end of Solomon's story are very very different Both Solomon and David were given a heart after God. And early on, were blessed abundantly by God, both in their personal lives and everything that they set their hands to. And then towards the end, both were given a warning. And they both ignored that warning. And it ended up costing them dearly. But from there, their paths began to move in different directions. You see, Solomon persisted in disobedience. God, uh, David repented. Solomon built an altar to false gods. David built an altar to the living God. Solomon created temples to glorify his name. David designed a temple to glorify the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Some of you ought to be a little more happy about that. And this is David and Solomon's story. It brings us to an important understanding about living from the heart. It's an important insight that the object of our affection becomes the direction of our heart. Solomon's love for many, many wives, riches and power and Solomon loved himself and this led his heart away from God. David, on the other hand, loves the Lord and his direction ended up very, very differently. The object of our affection becomes the direction of our heart. Put another way, What we love becomes what we will protect and defend. And put another way still, what we love becomes what we serve. I could go on and on and on. But ultimately, we begin to serve those things that will lead to greater reputation and control when we put our value in those. And the sad part about Solomon was he began to love more what God blessed than, more than, than the God that was blessing him. Solomon loved the things he had rather than God who provided those things. David understood that. The danger actually exists for you and I today because here's the other side of this. When we turn and repent, God is here to bless us. God will give you more ability to accomplish things. He'll develop the gifts in us. Oh, just lost my notes. We're able to reach people. We're able to connect. Maybe our reputation grows in community and our group. Some of us move into church ministry. And sometimes the temptation is we love the gifts more than we love the gift giver. A.W. Tozer says the reason why many people are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. It's pretty sobering, but I want you to be all beating yourselves up here. This is not the purpose. We are still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work in us. Brian 101, stop driving the bus. Let God do it. Friends, if you come to the end of yourselves, David prayed, yours, O Lord, is the greatness. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Yours is the majesty. But doesn't that story seem to just that if Solomon would have just prayed that prayer? And sadly, Solomon was praying, mine, O God, mine is the greatest. Look at what I've done. Look at my power. Look at my horses. Look at my chariots. Look at my gold. By the way, David was, sorry, Solomon was actually receiving 25 tons of gold a year at one point. I I, I take a year of that. Shortly after his death, the kingdom of Israel would be divided into two separate kingdoms. And they would stay at war with themselves for one another for hundreds of years later. I can't help but to wonder if Solomon would have prayed yours old. Yours is the kingdom, not mine, as his father had taught him to pray. Pastor Brian opened the prayer with Psalms 27. I would have lost heart in verse 13 and 14 unless I believed what I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say the Lord. I believe God is preparing us, and I believe he's preparing our hearts today, but I also believe he's not here to beat you up. I believe he's here to strengthen you. I believe he's here to encourage you. I believe we're here to remind you, because we don't have to end as Solomon ended, and maybe we've taken the path of David And maybe we need to repent, and maybe we have repented. If you repented, that's fine. Let's keep moving forward. But let's understand that God is here to do a great work. And I want to close with this. As we were singing at the song at the beginning of service, we sang, Lord, make me a vessel. Lord, make me an offering. Bring me new wine. Bring a new wine out of me. And if that's our heart's cry tonight, would you stand with today? Would you stand with me? In Psalms 51, David cried out, create a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast away your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. As I just wind down here today, I just pray your heart's prayer would be that he would create a new heart in you. Because like that well that David warned about, we have to guard against contamination. We have to guard against the ways of the world, according to Romans 12, chapter, or chapter 12, verse 2. So Father, I just pray you shine the light of your spirit into our hearts today. I pray, Father God, that you would remove those heart and stony areas of our heart. Father, I sever the assignment of lies that keep us stuck in doing the old things and acting in the same way. And I pray for healing over our spirit and the release of truth. Father, I disperse ministering angels, ministering truth 24-7 over the hearts and the spirit of those today and within the sound of my voice. And if you need prayer, I ask the prayer teams to come up. You need prayer for anything that may have hit a chord with you today. Maybe you're like Solomon and you see things in the glory and maybe you see things in possession and there's nothing wrong with those but maybe you just need to be crying out to god to create a new heart in you a new fresh spirit and i believe god wants to release life today so if you need prayer prayer teams come on up just a reminder the prayer uh the play if you can buy tickets for the play uh we just want to really support the youth and I believe there's something very, very positive happening there in the youth in that parade. So you are dismissed. If you need prayer, come on up. We'll have the prayer teams up here.
1: All right, are we ready? I'm live. All right. Just wanted to. Uh, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a good service today. I enjoyed uh, the message. I did, too. Right? It was uh, it's always great. I want you to slide over here just a little bit towards me. There See, we go. See, I'm always
2: having to slide over. <laughs>
1: I know, eh? You know, it's like we were always cuddled in really close on these After 9 shows. So, anyways, uh, pa- uh, Christine's got a, a word, a scripture she wants to start off with on the After show, right?
2: Actually, a few uh, little uh, things that help us with our heart. All right. Okay? And our love walk. Because these are things we need to put into ourselves to be able to have the heart that God wants us to have.
1: I'm, I'm in agreement with you. Let's see what uh, Scripture you decided to pull up well, for us.
2: Well, it's 1 Corinthians 13one 1-7. Father, I thank you that we walk in love, mm-hmm. for our faith is activated by love. So what does love do? Love forgives quickly and freely and blesses those who do wrong. It's not easily offended, holds no grudge, resentment, or self-pity. Amen. Love has no fear of man, the future, or the unknown, but has strong confidence in you, Lord. It remains teachable and open to correction, preferring the interests of others over its own. Mm -hmm. Love takes responsibility for its mistakes and will not blame others. Love does not hoard and is not stingy, greedy, or covetous, but is willing to share with a cheerful attitude and a glad heart It is content in all circumstances. Love has a submissive spirit and is under authority and flees rebellion and lawlessness. Love brings security, stability, strength into our lives. Love has a language of praise, worship, thanksgiving, and appreciation. Love is never rude, irritable, or without manners but sensitive and kind to all. Mm -hmm. Love is never glad about injustices or unrighteousness. It rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love never quits, becomes irrelevant, obsolete, or outdated. Love believes the best of every person is always hopeful and joyful. Love is not ashamed of the gospel and is a passionate soul winner for you, Lord. It identifies the children of God and the lack of it reveals the kingdom of darkness. Love lasts forever is unfailing and undying. It compels us to reach out to those who are last least and lost. It empowers us to love our enemies and those who persecute us. I thank you Father God that true love is unconditional.
1: Love never fails.
2: It never fails. It never
1: fails. And I
2: find as I read this on a daily basis it really does help my heart to remain in a right attitude towards God, but also towards people.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it says in God's Word, in another passage of Scripture, it also talks about that we would be known by our love for one another, yeah, so the right. lifestyle of a Christian and that of a foundation is going to be about how we love people, exactly, and and how that's reflected of, i sorry, you know, in our relationships towards others, correct? That's right, that's right. So that 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 passage was, is it, is it 13 verses? Is it that is in, uh, or it's chapter 13? I don't remember how many verses it is, but <laughs> it's a few. but it is just packed with information uh, about love,
2: exactly. And
1: uh, what, what is there any ones that stand out for you particularly when you're reading that?
2: Especially uh, for me, it's always uh, forgiveness. Forgiveness? Yeah, I find that one really strong because in this DNA, just, we, we get offended so easily. To <laughs> true, be true. With you. <laughs> you know? yes. So that's one of the ones that really helps. But the thing is, um, I think we have to make a choice as okay. to how we choose to live life. Okay. We can live it with bitterness and unforgiveness and judgmental and criticalness, mm-hmm. or we can stop ourselves and say, you know what? god says yep and then start acting according to what the word of god and, has and to let say.
1: it flow out of love that's right, right?
2: exactly there, even when you have to correct yeah you know
1: do it, it all in love, love yeah. right yeah. reaffirm and love the individuals. exactly exactly there, there was a part of the message today that he was talking about which uh, i think it was the the scripture verse comes from proverbs 4 27 yeah, I, 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 may, I may have it wrong like yeah. but it talks about uh, uh how the the Guard your heart for out of it flows the issues of life, or mm-hmm. out of it flows the wellsprings of you know of life. And and I thought it was really interesting because he he tied it in to the basically the heart of a city. Mm-hmm. And and he said that you know, whenever there's a siege or whenever they're attacking a city, one of the things that they do is they come in and they they basically cut off the water, yes. And and I and it kind of stood out to me when I, when I when he was doing that I was um, I had this um, vision in my head when I was in Israel a few years back. I've been to a place called uh, Masada a couple yes, of times. Yes, I've been there. <laughs> and uh, the first time I was at Masada, I climbed it. But when I was a little bit older and a little less out of shape, I didn't. And you uh, ended up having more wisdom. Yes, I had yes, more wisdom more at that wisdom. time. <laughs> but but this Mas- Masada was built in the middle of a desert, uh, primarily, and it was on this really uh, tall. Uh, kind of almost like mountain plateau, mm-hmm. and and inside the mountain they actually built all kinds of water systems yeah, to be able amazing. to retain yep. water when it rained, etc. And they had like years worth of water inside mm-hmm. of that um, city. So when it came under siege, it was able to be able to main, last for ah. a very long time. And it just kind of was really interesting when he brought it out today. How uh, it just, he's like, we have to guard our hearts and yes. what what you know with such relevance of the life of god mm-hmm. that flows through because mm-hmm. what we allow to flow in is also what's going to allow to flow out correct
2: yes absolutely
1: i don't know what do you think of that that's kind of the one of the big highlights i kind of picked up i, today. I think
2: that's very important but i'm going to give you a personal experience about the heart okay okay uh when i was terminally Ill, Okay. And I first got saved. I started declaring healing scriptures. And I really believed that God would heal me. Okay. But then I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism. Oh, the Holy Spirit knows how to work. I'm telling you. And the Holy Spirit asked me a very (laughs) serious question. Christine, do you really want to be healed? Mm -hmm. And guess what he exposed? My heart. heart. And my heart said no. Ah, ah, fear. Yeah, fear had my life. Wow. And my heart said no. And I learned a valuable. Well, through this, I ended up getting to know God better. He kept working with me. He couldn't heal me. And then, when I actually began to trust God the way I should have, okay, I got healed three days later. Yeah. Boom. But what it is is sometimes we walk around and we don't ever bother asking the Holy Spirit to show us. Our hearts. Our hearts. Yeah. And I think that's vital. Yeah. In order for us to walk in healing, to walk in truth, and to become everything God is calling us to be. Mm -hmm. Because we all want to look good. Mm -hmm. We really do. Yep. But God sometimes sees some things in us to make little tweaks here and there, so we actually become who is calling us to be.
1: And I guess that really goes back to the question of the, the title of the service today, which was who do you love that's right and, you know of course you know we we have this uh, inward reflection right away the first answer is we love god mm-hmm. but yeah. but really all of the are the fruits of righteousness being produced in our that's lives right. in accordance to our love of god exactly you know so i i really love that because it's kind of like you know everyone always says you know where you know where your money is where your time is where your resources mm-hmm. are what you talk about those are all things reflective of where the condition of your heart is mm-hmm. yet we as you said we don't really spend that much time evaluating god really what's in my heart what's really there what's my priority and i say i love you but mm-hmm. do i really love that's
2: you that's right see all those outward signs of money and all this stuff yeah it does show but does it truly show the fullness mm. of what's in your
1: heart? Yeah, and the heart is evil.
2: Oh, it can be.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's, uh, you know, I, I was you know, I love those conversations with people. It's like, God knows my heart. Yeah, well, we do. Yeah, <laughs> well, the God says that the heart is evil, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so.
2: Yeah, but that's an excuse in my book. Uh, yeah. You know, God does know our hearts, and mm. if we really look at it in truth, <laughs> he also knows our motives. Yes. And so that's important. You have to put the two together.
1: Yes. Yeah. So yeah, so I mean, what are your final thoughts as we're kind of you know wrapping up uh, today? What, do you, what did you? What was the highlight you pulled out of besides the love of God and and, and the wellspring there? Did you pick up anything else you want to tie in?
2: Um, <laughs> so many things. Mm-hmm. But um, who do you love? I think that was the main thing with me, because it actually asks you that question. Mm-hmm. And if you're really true to yourself, you'll start searching as to who you really love yeah so often we put everybody and everything else above god yes and yet i love god yeah you know yeah so that's my main thing that i All pulled right. out. yeah I, I you know what i,
1: I was encouraged <laughs> I, I love coming into a service and getting you know like that you know that challenging word where mm-hmm. you really you know the the pondering question right before you who do you love <laughs> and you know and i think it allows people to be able to go for and i really think that's something for people who are out there even whether you're watching this afterwards or you know in the middle yeah, of the right. week is yeah, right. who do you love you know, and, uh, you know, I'd even like to give you an opportunity this day, you know, to make that decision on, on who do you love? Do you love, you know, do you love God as first and foremost in your life or do you, you love something else? And, uh, you know, if you haven't, you know, ever, you know, even received Christ as the first place of your life, as the one who you really truly love, then I'd just like to give you that opportunity right now. I said, you know, to invite them into your heart, you know, let them know that, you know, you're a sinner in need of a savior, repent of those sins, tell them you want them to make the Lord of your life, profess him as your savior, and you know what? You can join in with, with, Amen. with, with Amen. him into all eternity. Amen. So whether you send us a message or whatnot afterwards, I just want to encourage you. God is a God of love. He desires yes, yes. all of your heart this day. He truly loves you, and you know what? He died for you before you beforehand you know like a lot of times it's like you know you know they say a good man or sorry rarely will a man die for a good man yeah but christ died for us when we were all yet still sinners that's right
2: amen yes amen amen and make sure you enthrone him in your heart yes that's important too let him have that throne in your heart in order Mm -hmm. that you can change and serve him
1: Amen. It was just why to remember to light the passion within you. Uh, we're here at Inspiration Nine. We look forward to seeing you, uh, you know, later at Lighthouse Prayer this week, and back here at church next. So have a great and a wonderful and prosperous day. Amen. Amen. <laughs>